Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Chris Cottonor, executive producer of The Secret Life of Cookies and Deep State Radio. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast will continue to be available in the Deep State Radio feed for the next several weeks. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Today's episode features Kavita Patel, practicing physician and former health and economics policy advisor in the Obama administration. We talk pro-cookie baking tips and COVID, including the pros and cons of the vaccines, the reality of our shared grief, and what to say to someone who's not wearing a mask. We also talk about pleasant things, including that most pleasant thing of all, chocolate. I uh, welcome. Thank you for coming on the show, Kavita. Uh, Dr. Patel, um, physician, oh, mother, <laughs> okay, <laughs> physician, mother, Brookings Institute fellow, um, former health and economics policy person in the Obama administration. And are you a very tired person now? <laughs> <laughs> I was tired a long time ago, but I, that happened with med school. So I'm, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, believe it or not. I'm, I'm not as tired as I was then some days. So that tells you something. Okay. So it becomes, <laughs> so it all becomes, they, maybe they do that to you. So it becomes relative. In, um, it does. That's right. We're trained. Exactly. So I, I have you on the show today for the most important thing, which is of course, baking cookies. Um, and then I also, you know, there seem to be some things going on in the world that maybe we could talk about. Um, and uh, I want to talk to you about serious things and uh, funny things and weird things and random things. So that's really sort of my uh, to-do list yourself. Great. No, I love it. My, my to-do list was to actually make somewhat healthy oatmeal chocolate chip cookies for my kids. So that, well, that's what that's we've done fun. here because here we have, I gave you a recipe for a whole wheat oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. So it has the most important ingredient, which is chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and Very, nice- no, no skimping on that. No skimping on that. It's the most important part. Oats are very good for heart health. Whole wheat flour, once you start using it, I find in cookies, um, there's no looking back. Like you will find that if you make a regular chocolate chip cookie with regular flat with white flour, it will come across as way too sweet. Do you do you just use a one-to-one swap? I find that you can do a a one-to-one, although you have to do one-to-one. A lot of recipes are done, are measured in cups or measured by weight. Mm-hmm. And the tricky thing is, if you're going to go one to one, then you need to use the cup measure, not the weight measure, because okay. the, the weights okay. are different of whole wheat flour and whole wheat flour typically. Okay. Well, I'm too lazy to do weights, so the <laughs> cups work perfectly well. That's fine. Um, so this is, I, I find that whole wheat flour, you can get beautiful, like pastry flour, you can get um, all sorts mm-hmm. of different kinds of milled flowers, uh, whole wheat flowers mm-hmm. now that taste good. Some add texture. And mm-hmm. I don't know about your kids, but my kids, um, when they were little, did not eat a wide variety of foods. No, mine basically 
my daughter who's kind of running around she's actually a somewhat decent she'll eat vegetables and kind of explore into the vegetable family my son uh if it's green he won't eat it so there you go yeah, yeah I, when my daughter was little she was eating um I got like what some Amy's pizza that had spinach on it I felt so superior that I was like getting my daughter to eat spinach and she was eating with a friend and the little friend goes you know that spinach on there and no more eating things with spinach on it that's right exactly exactly <laughs> although I did do an article once about um if I and I, I said to my daughter I bet you can't tell if I scramble eggs and I put spinach inside the eggs if I put enough cheese in there you won't be able to tell if I blindfold you I've tried that with my son as soon as he sees something dog. green it's uh it's tough the, to roll I've got a little I've got I've got a little confession since the dough's um pre-made yesterday uh the balls are i did not take out the little i did not take out as i was instructed my hunk of dough early so i'm uh trying to soften it up and my 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 daughter is chiming in that it's hard to roll so it, it, it is really it is really hard to roll and it also i find that when i'm rolling um oatmeal it sort of makes my hand itch. yeah it does yeah 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 right it's like an exfoliant right. think how beautiful Think how beautiful your hands will look. Exactly. Happy. No, I'm I'm happy to do that. Exactly. Probably, after, all the I, hand, after all the hand washing I do. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. And think how delicious your cookies will be with all the oh gross. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you are working kind of it seems to me nonstop, right? If you're not like on MSNBC telling people to to <laughs> that everything's going to be okay or eventually will be okay, you're also now back in clinical practice. Yeah, I actually never, the only time I left clinical practice for the majority of my time was when I worked in government because it was, uh, funny enough, in the Senate, it was actually an ethics violation. And because I worked on healthcare issues, I couldn't do it. So my licensure kind of lapsed um, for the years I was in on the Senate and um, in the White House. But then when I came out, I resumed or started back a clinical practice. And it's been almost 10 years now. So I've been, but I, what I did last year is I shifted my clinical work into what's called a federally qualified health center, which are low income kind of uninsured. You know, there's an incredibly large population of people, even in the DC area who still lack insurance for a lot of different reasons. Um, so they don't have, you know, so federally qualified health centers are actually part of the solution for what we would call a safety net. So that's, and so I work at a great place. It's called Mary's Center. Um, they're wonderful and they do, the people there are amazing. And most of the workers there are from communities that have been hit hardest by COVID. At one point in time, we had like a third of like the staff in our office who were sick with it. And, oh. you know, obviously not at work, but so it's been pretty, you know, the early kind of disparities that people were seeing kind of we were living, but we didn't even have tests at the beginning it was taking me seven to eight days to get a test back. So we know that there was just a lot that we, and we didn't know all these things like we do now, like that if, um, you know, before we thought it was like fever, sore throat or cough. And now we know things like, oh, if you lose your sense of smell or taste, that could be an early sign. And, and now we have so much more, but we were kind of operating blind. We were joking, and, but it wasn't a joke that the early part of clinic, we were just putting, we were just like taping up plastic in the hallways to try to separate people who had respiratory symptoms from those who didn't. 
I'm like, that didn't do anything. And we had not really thought, you know, I was on TV talking about how we don't need masks or we shouldn't take, you know, wear masks. So we all learned kind of on the job. So yeah, so that's, um, I do that. And it's very scary and gratifying all at the same time. And um, it's a, it's a word of support for sometimes people overlook kind of federal programs and don't really understand yeah. some of the important roles they serve, but FQHCs, federally qualified health centers or community health centers are critical. Oh, there's the, there's the oven. <laughs> the oven, yeah, the oven's ready. So we need to keep doing this. I've got a little small helper right here. So that's when you hear sweet noises, that's her. So we're getting, we're getting, we're just rolling, right? Marissa? Just so, rolling and putting okay. them on the pan and getting ready Good. to bake them because that's really yeah. all we need to do. I don't think. Yeah. Need, yeah. Getting ready. To cool. Eat them. cool. Um, yesterday, I think, uh, president Joe Biden, um, uh, signed, uh, back into effect mm -hmm. the affordable care act. Signed a number of things. There's still some ways to go, but did a couple of executive orders that I'd highlight. Um, the most important of which was opening back up the en open enrollment period. So without any explanation, you can sign up for health insurance from February 15th to May 15th. Normally that open enrollment period um, was six weeks. Normally it's six weeks. And that, by the way, was truncated. The Trump administration took what was a 12 week enrollment from the Obama administration, turned it into six weeks. And unfortunately also, believe it or not, dismantled like access to the website on Sundays. They took, the website went down for maintenance service on Sundays, which, you know, last time I checked, the only time people, especially working women who end up choosing health plans for their families had time to do anything was Sunday night or Sunday or Saturday night at 2 a.m. and. So they also cut the navigator programs. So if any of you have tried to buy health insurance, like me, when I've helped my parents choose a Medicare plan, and I probably know more about, about health insurance than anyone else in the country, and it's incredibly complicated. So they also, the Trump administration had decreased the funding for what's called the navigator program, which helps to like translate some of these important things to people and real, real people and words that they understand by 90%. So Biden basically opened up the enrollment period and also called for increasing the funding to support enrollment services. And then he did a series of other things that have kind of gotten a little bit overlooked. He overturned the gag rule around um, reproductive rights and, and kind of a, a pretty significant set of changes to basically um, not prohibit abortions as much as had been done in the Trump administration, as well as changes in the Medicaid program. And as a reminder, Medicaid is really also kind of the insurance program that actually a majority of Americans are on. And it's generally for low income adults who might not have employment insurance or might not be able to afford or, or don't make enough money to afford to buy one of those plans on the open market. So that was a pretty big deal. That is a huge deal. And I don't, I mean, since this is a podcast, nobody could really see the weird look on my face when you talked about Donald Trump, like, well, the Trump administration putting the website on maintenance on Sundays. Like, mm -hmm. like that really feels like cartoon-like evil scheme. Right. Yeah, but I mean, many of us who, you know, Unfortunately, many of us who worked on the Affordable Care Act or worked on 
like, you know, I would argue like Ted Kennedy probably spent more of his life trying to figure out how to expand health insurance for Americans. And for those of us who have worked on this, like it was just one in a series of blows. And the reason I said that it's like, what I think what the president did yesterday was like, what I hope is the first is because I'll give you a good example in the tax bill that was passed during the Trump administration, they eliminated the mandate to have to buy health insurance. And I think there's been a lot of controversy around that because um, we put the mandate in for a couple of reasons. One, if you don't mandate health insurance, then only the people who need it buy it. And it ends up driving up um, the risk pool in a way that's pretty bad. So um, that's one thing. And the second thing is, is, you know, insurance companies need to feel comfortable offering health insurance to everyone. And they want to have as broad of a population to offer it to for a lot of good reasons. And so it's, 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 it's gone now. So you don't have to buy health insurance, but you know, hopefully with these enrollment services, as well as some of these other things, we can actually identify ways to make sure people who qualify for subsidies. We believe that there are at least 5 million Americans who actually qualify for free premiums in the plans available now. Um, maybe an additional 5 million that qualify for Medicaid and didn't know it. And then another five, maybe to six to 8 million who qualify, but would receive some part of their payments subsidized and would have to pay cash um, out of pocket, but at a much more reduced rate. So all in all, we could see like upwards of 20 million people receive insurance, which is great. And how do you, how does the, how does the word get out? Right? Like we're not yeah. all watching the news all the time. And, right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of us actually probably have people around us who are uninsured and don't realize it. So I think it's getting the word out. I, I think that's why I kind of emphasize these navigator programs. They're incredibly effective because usually the programs, they're usually grants given they're usually grants given into community-based organizations that actually understand who's uninsured or why people are uninsured or speak languages that are familiar to those who might not have English as their even second or third language. And so that's, those are their ways that it needs to get out, which is why I think it was important to offer these, these kind of grants. Should I, should I put these in? Yeah, put them in. I'm okay. gonna put mine in the oven too. Okay, all right. Okay, so let's put these in, okay? okay. As a physician, you must go to, in the olden days, people used to go to things like cocktail parties and like public events where friends would meet and gather. Do you remember things yeah. like that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know who those people were. <laughs> I haven't heard of them. <laughs> but we used to do that when I, that we did a lot more when I worked on the Hill or in government. It was kind of like the traditional Friday, like, you know, happy hour wind down and but what I do miss are probably like most people, just the little things, you know, being able to go inside a coffee shop and sit there. And I would definitely meet friends for coffee or when I was really, you know, my kids are four and six when they were really, really little, you know, taking them in a stroller and meeting a friend who was also, also on maternity leave. And that was like life-saving. Like if, I, if I had to have a newborn now and this, I, I just don't know what I'd do because I spent so much time inside of, you name it, uh, you know, in, in DC, we've got these little bakeries, Firehook, you know, bread and chocolate, right. and some of these great, some of these places you could just stroll on into. And they kind of saw that you were like this tired, you know, newborn mother, and they would just let you sit there with like a cup of coffee, uh, or a glass of water and just like have a mental break while your kid was either sleeping in the stroller or just like awake and screaming. So 
Right. I don't, know how, I don't know how people who don't have that do it, to be honest. No. And the trick was to get the kid, your child, not the kid, I mean, being so disrespectful, one's child to fall asleep as you were heading into the yes. cafe. Yeah. Yeah. We would try to time it for their nap times and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. So true. So and true. The, and the idle twitch that you would have of just sort of like idly rocking. The yeah. Keep the oh, yeah. Motion. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I still, find, I still find myself in line sometimes sort of stimming back and forth. I think it's because I'm like in perpetual rocking mode, you know? <laughs> well, it is. They call it, I forget, it's like four S's now. Shushing, swaying, which is that. Um, sne- I, there's like shushing, swaying, and two other S's where they've been shown in time, over time to work also in adults too. Like it had, so I, I found myself when I used to travel for conferences or meetings, um, sometimes I have a hard time falling asleep in a new place and I could just take on my iPhone and play like a, it was like that. And it actually works. Like it worked on my newborns and it works on me. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's a great tip for all of us. Um, exactly. Yeah, Just that and like wrapping your child like a burrito is very important. That was it. Oh, swaddling. There you go. Swaddling. See, there you go. So one, I'm, we're missing one S, but yeah, four S's. It was the shushing, swaddling, swaying, and then something. Yeah. As a doctor, do you find that like your friends are always like hitting you up for advice? No, I mean, you know, it's kind of a selection bias. Most of my friends are doctors. So we end up comparing like advice because they'll, have something. I'm, I'm only an internal medicine doctor, so I only cover 18 and above and where I have my own blind spots is with pediatric illnesses, childhood stuff. So I talk often to my friends who are pediatricians. Um, that doctor thing happens a lot more with, you know, people who are very casual. It's funny how bold people are to like ask me incredibly sensitive medical questions over email or Twitter. It's very interesting to me. I mean, I don't have, I don't blame them. I think everybody's kind of trying to just get better information, but it's, it does tell you something that that's, you know, where we're at. Yeah. Like, do you want to look at my rash right now? That sort of yeah. Thing. I mean, it's, kind of, I mean, I've had quite the, I've had my fill of pictures of things inside of toilet bowls. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I've had my fair share of pictures of things inside of toilet bowls. Yes. Really? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I had just four this past week. So yes, it's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, four of them. Mm-hmm. So it's not. So that seems um, not rare. No, not rare. Not rare. Not rare. No. I think it's again like I've. I find that with the surplus of information, people actually lack kind of trusted information. I guess it's like that's probably a lot of it, and that seems to be the issue. That on you know whether it's um, the deep state podcast with David or you know, on TV or radio or print, it's just information, right? People just want information and they're not necessarily sure how to get it or how to trust the people who give it to them. Right. Because they're lasers from space that are starting forest fires. Yeah. Right. A Jewish run lasers that are starting forest (laughs) fires. So with that sort of information out there, I think that's what, to me, one of the as a lay person, one of the greatest challenges with COVID mm-hmm. uh, yep. overall is yep. the lack of not just, I mean, there's plenty of information out there, but there's not plenty of sense. I'm sort of pointing at my yeah. skull. Or um, context. Yeah. You can't like just having a rattling off a bunch of statistics 
without grounding it in like your context. Like we were talking about all the new vaccine information that's come out in the last 24 hours. And, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, this one's better, this one's worse. Um, but there's so many factors in kind of, you know, like, you know, what, what makes something right for one person may not make it right for another. And it's hard to do that, you know. That's why it's sad to me where a lot of like, the most precious time, you know, in medicine is, is the most precious commodity in medicine is time. So it, it ends up being kind of sad that I hear a lot of people who, if they could just have 15 more minutes with like a doctor or somebody that they trust, they would get a lot more information out of it. But our payment systems and the way we pay people does not allow for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I have my own personal experiences with my, one of my doctors um, was a real old timey doctor. And Mm-hmm. As my OBGYN, he would see me with clothes on first and uh-huh. then see me in the exam room. And then I would put my clothes back on and go talk to him. The difference between talking to yeah. someone with clothes on and without, <laughs> even that yeah. makes a huge difference. No, and it's funny because we're under such pressure. Oh, before I get into this very kind of sophisticated ethical discussion, is this like 10 minutes, 12 minutes? It's about 10, It depends on your oven, but I would yeah. say about okay. 10 minutes. And okay, I'll check feeling, on it. I think one of the things I was struck by, um, I was just in beautiful uptown, downtown Altoona, Pennsylvania this past oh, week. I know where Altoona is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Altoona, um, I went into a restaurant to get food to take back to huh? my, you know, hotel room where I, you know, wore 25 uh, face masks. Did I mention I'm a hypochondriac? Did yeah. I? Um, it's okay. You've got a lot of friends. You're not, in, not, in, you're not in small company. No. And, and a hypochondriac with anxiety, like all these people are like, Oh, I have to wash my hands now. I'm like, where you been people? This is none of this is new. I know. It is kind of funny. Isn't it? They're like, we have to wash our hands out of the bathroom. What? Yeah. <laughs> really? Um, when you come in from outside. Yes. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> you keep soap. Anyway. Um, Altoona, Pennsylvania, walk into a restaurant. It is like Saturday, it is Saturday night, but it's like Saturday night in 2019. The restaurant is packed with people. Mm-hmm. Um, people aren't wearing masks while they're yep. not chewing, you know? Yep. Um, it's mixed families at tables, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just like you and your pod and the tables are right next to each other. Yeah. So yeah. how do we get through to people? I mean, or is there no way? I mean, I've talked to people who are health professionals. We're like, well, this COVID thing isn't quite real. Yeah, I've had, I mean, there's actually, I'm, you know, we've talked about kind of background and, you know, people from Texas and I'm, my friends, some of whom are physicians in Texas, there's a pretty significant portion of them who have refused the vaccine. So they're not comfortable. I actually had a very long conversation that I decided I just needed to like walk away from with a friend who's a nurse in a, believe it or not, in the cancer ward. And she said, not enough data. I actually wrote it down because I was so struck by it. She's like, well, there's not enough data. And I said, well, there is pretty good data. And it's also pretty impressive, like what we're seeing, like with people who get sick and, you know, I wouldn't want to take those risks. And she's on the getting sick side. And then she's like, well, this is really, you know, the government's just doing an experiment on us. And I said, okay, well, if you really believe that, then can I ask, did you get um, a flu shot? Yes. Did you get you know, did you get all your shots when you were a, a baby, like measles and mumps and rubella and polio? And she's like, yes. And because we're in healthcare, we also get vac- vaccinated against hepatitis. And she's like, yes. And I said, well, 
what what made that different from some government conspiracy and she's like well you know it's she's like it's not necessarily um she's like it's not necessarily those people that did it back then were not as bad as this government now and and it was funny because when trump was president she's like oh i think it's great and she truly believes that the change from power makes anything that they're endorsing not appropriate and it is something that i've always worried about that like there was this sentiment that it can't be good if it's um, it, you know, kind of supported by this White House. And, and, you know, there was some damaging statements made when Trump was president about how, you'll recall that there was a pretty controversial statement, and I'm going to get the exact words wrong by Governor Cuomo, who said that he didn't trust, um, I for, it, basically he's, you he asked, and several other states followed with setting up their own vaccine approval committee, right. which, you know, kind of reflected, I think, the cynicism, and rightfully so, because we had a White House that was actually advancing things that were not scientifically proven, but it then becomes hard for the public to understand the difference. And I think that's like a real tragedy. So I think the only thing you can do for a place like Altoona is to not, you know, it, it would be foolish to say they're all dumb. They don't know what they're doing. I think that a lot of it is complicated and wrapped up in yep. businesses need to survive. Most people, especially in small communities, feel comfortable with their local businesses or know the people who run these restaurants and know the waitresses and waiters. And what we needed to do was actually pour money to the small businesses, then pour money to people to actually be able to stay safe and find some way to you know, exist. And we didn't do that. And we're, and we're not doing that still to this day. And so we're forever going to have a population that thinks, this virus was no big deal. I didn't get sick, or if I got sick, I didn't die. And so I'm, that must be okay. And somehow the 435,000 deaths don't seem to register. And that's what, you know, so what we did, you know, it's not one fault. It's, right. it's a series of events, you know, that, so yes, that's, the, that's my answer. That's, but that's, it's, it's a real challenge. The best, the best thing I, my son came back and he had a lesson in fact versus fiction. I thought that was great. You know, it was like very basic, like what's a fact, what's fiction. And it wasn't that easy, you know, like it's, it's, um, it was not things like, oh, there's a Santa Claus, you know, shh, there's not, you know, but there was, it was things like, you know, uh, it was things like if someone tells you the sky is orange, is the sky orange? And, and, you know, they it wanted you to go through critical thinking to say, well, I can look outside and I can see what I see. And, you know, I don't think the sky's orange and that might not be a fact or, you know, what's a fact. And so I, I think rewriting or even writing some of those narratives would be great. I really do, especially um, coming out and trying, you know, I've seen so many people who are trying to look at this top line data and say, well, if something is 95% effective, doesn't that mean it is perfect? Or what does that mean? And we don't have enough, like even like I'll call it mathematical literacy to understand any of that. And, and it, it doesn't mean just as a PSA again, if you have something that's 95% effective, it does not mean that if a hundred people get the vaccine that only, you know, five people get COVID. It just means that if a hundred people get the vaccine, there is a 95% reduction of risk of dying or getting moderate or severe COVID from, compared to a population. And, that's not easy to abstract, like comparative uh, statistics. And, you know, so if there's one thing that we could do, it would be to do
do what you're talking about and then also infuse like some better education around basic science and basic statistics and 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 math in some ways I, I hate to say it like the phone has made it easy for me to never have to think about math but mm-hmm. being able to compare populations has been being able to explain to people what the infectivity rates are and are not greater than one and what does exponential spread mean the virus is like demonstrating every single one of those principles every day and we just don't understand them that's why that's partly why the media um you know there's a slew of us like on television who are trying to do it some a little more sensational than others i put myself (laughs) in the very calm kind of i mean i'm not shy about saying that what trump did was malpractice but i like i don't think these are things to get like incredibly emotional about because i think that Many of us know that we're in this for a long period of time, and it's not good to scare people with tales of mutant viruses, but it's probably better to just level with people and say, here's what we know. I can promise you this will change in about three months. <laughs> that's about it. And that's, and that's all I can do. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest problems right now is people don't have an end goal, right? There's no like, and we all want to know that at some point I will resume my existence as, yeah. as, as it they once need was. But we need that psychologically. I mean, Mary Trump could probably tell you even better because I think, you know, she's done this her whole life. But you need, I've always felt part of why people need a light at the end of the tunnel is because if you don't have it, if you study societies where you've had populations um, incarcerated or suppressed because of like um, oppressive regimes, you start to see that like there's actually a genetic effect and people lose the will to live and so you have to have something to live for so it's important for me to be able to say marissa will be able to do this in person hopefully in about six months you know it's it's important to have some goals and and have something that you look forward to it just has to probably be recalibrated so i'm going to take mine out because i think they're yeah probably just a couple more minutes okay I'll i'll look for that but yeah yeah um, because these have brown, a lot more brown sugar in them than white yeah. sugar, they tend to uh, turn brown a little more, you know, brown. Oh, those are okay. Yeah, more quickly. Yeah. Just so you know. They can I go think from... I think it's just the chocolate quantity that they care about. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, because as the baker, it's yeah. made brown. It goes from a nice color to, oh my God, these are really quite... I think the best takeaways for me, I can substitute whole wheat flour for white yeah. flour. Uh, and then that I can pre-make the dough and I'm not going to say I'm going to ever freeze it because I'll never do it, but it's <laughs> way easier because that's part of the whole, like, you know, using the standing mixer and mixing the butter and it's easy, but if you can do it like on a Saturday and then wait for whatever, then how long does the dough stay good in the fridge, by the way? About a week, okay. about a week. I mean, right, so that's, so. And, and who's like, does dough really last in a fridge that long? No, because no, but I'm just asking, like, you can keep it in there like a couple of days and it won't, you know, nothing terrible. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd probably I'd make your limit about five days. Yeah. Okay. Also, don't go, don't also go good to know. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it's a, sugar is a great preservative. Um, so it, you know, it kind of helps keep things. It, 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 I, I mean, I've kind of lived my life that way, but exactly. Yeah. I'm actually, I do, 90, I, I'm 95. I'm 90. Exactly. I was going <laughs> to say like, I, 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 I feel like that's a problem. That's also another people all think that like, you know, just because we're in healthcare, we're all healthy. We're human, just like everybody else. So I, I had at one point another postpartum, probably a sign that I was probably not, you know, 
the, the happiest in my postpartum period. Um, I, there were full on boxes, Amazon boxes, full of full size candy bars that I had ordered just for me. So like my husband at one point was like, I think we have a problem. And, and, and I was like, what's the problem? Like what, what is wrong with me having my own full size candy bar every single day? And I, I, you know, now that some years have gone by, I'm like, oh, that probably was not, that was probably not my finest hour, you know, but yeah. you're just, so yes. So there's definitely a limit to sugar and, and I've learned to appreciate the different qualities of sweet things, like the appreciation for better chocolates versus the stadium box of candies. But yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely did that. And I think that also leads to like what a lot of Americans are doing now where they're just grieving and they're trying to cope with like, like in essence, the loss of being able to be in person or the loss of being able to meet in person, that's grief. That's, that's grief that like, we just don't have a way to process. And so or acknowledge are doing it or acknowledge and people are processing it or not acknowledging it or acknowledging it in different ways. I was eating, I didn't exercise, you know, I know some people who have not like left their house. Um, mm -hmm in months. And, you know, I, one person, I actually now have had like several people who, um, since, since I've now been kind of put immunized, double shot and kind of down under in my arms, I, I've had patients who like, when I do a physical exam and I'm more comfortable, I still wear all my masks and I look scary. And it's funny. Cause they say, sometimes they've never seen my face, uh, but then they, <laughs> and then they watch TV and they're like, we didn't know you look like that, but it's, so when I touch them, they're like, nobody's touched me, you know, in years uh -huh. or months. And, and it's just, so I think our country is going to have to process. So I highly encourage the act of like rolling cookies is very therapeutic. So I, I, I encourage the non cooks. I know Mary Trump had um, her brownie box mix, which I totally do all day, but mm -hmm. I would say rolling cookies is maybe a better substitute because you get the like tactile energy. I think that's why a lot of people turn to making bread. Yes, I have noticed that that's like, that was like a big uh, COVID trend. Like a, a girlfriend was like, I mean, have you tried making all these easy breads? And I'm like, is there such a thing as an easy bread? There, it turns out there are because I've never been good at making bread. And um, it's never been something that I focused on. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe we'll do that for another one. We'll do, there There's we go. My daughter. Do you see my daughter? I, so I, I do. She's tall enough to reach. I've got, <laughs> I've got a little bit of power over the four-year-old. She's just not quite, she's like down, she's down here. She's not, she went, she's now like, she's like, whatever. I rolled the cookies. I'm done. She's off. She's off just playing with her, her stuff. But yes, it's uh, I don't blame warm cookies. It's like cookies, right? Homey. I mean, it is, there's something very happy about the smell. So it's so it's it's so yes. Yeah, so this is great therapy for anyone who's going to listen. Get your. It's very easy, right? You'll have the recipe up. It's so super simple. easy. It's super easy. And and if you don't have, what do you substitute? If you don't have like those traditional oats, can you just leave them out? Or, just leave them out. Yeah, leave so them out. Yeah, It'll yeah. be fine. Um, yeah, the oats really just perform a sort of textural textural yeah. sort of right. Um, and um, health-giving nutrients. Don't forget health-giving nutrients. It's very important to talk about those. I mean, I did use um, good chocolate in my morsels, so <laughs> I, I feel have, like I... <laughs> I am a big, I'm a big unpaid, unfortunately, proponent of uh, guitar chocolate from San Francisco. 
We use that for Thanksgiving for a pie that my husband made. Uh, like a, he's the one you really need to have on because he made from scratch three pies. And he made uh, one of those, what I, in, in Texas, again, what I would have bought from Marie Callender's. It's like the chocolate mousse with the whipped cream. Oh my he, God. It's like a French silk pie. Is that what it's yeah, called, maybe? Yeah. He made that crust and all from scratch for Thanksgiving. And it was just the four of us. It's like we had anyone over to do it. So there was like, and, and mind you that two of us are four and six years old. So yeah, no, we I had that. Totally, I have so we, much more. You know how I respected you as a medical professional? <laughs> now I respect you as a human. He, he made a friend, he made it with guitar chocolate. It was game changing. So we have, uh, we got it by accident because we were trying to buy groceries kind of last minute. And that's all the only chocolate they had. And I was like, what is this guitar chocolate? And he's like, oh, it's very good. And it was, you know, whatever on sale at Whole Foods. So I bought it and he made French silk pie from scratch, apple pie from scratch, and my favorite pumpkin pie from scratch with the crust. So he's the real talent that needs to be on the show. But, um, you know, you get, I get, you, you get easy cookies from me. So. <laughs> I would like to make French silk pie with them. Um, if you yeah. chocolate has no sort of um, aftertaste like some chocolates do. Yeah, I so, noticed that. So intense and so pure. And even their milk chocolate. Um, and then they do an extra dark chocolate. Oh, which is cool. Okay. Really, really nice. It, it does make a difference. So you taste, I never had appreciated after I had bought my box of stadium size candy bars. I had not appreciated different chocolate. And I, I really do. I, I, I describe that as like, I sometimes joke and I'm like, oh, we've really become part of the 1% now that we understand like, you know, that not all chocolate is this like hyper processed milk chocolate, but it gets back to, you know, getting us back to more serious things. It gets back to like, how do we, you know, it, it, it's stunning to me that we have now more food insecurity because of COVID, more children going hungry. I was trying to talk to my kids about this. They're like, you mean kids don't have food? And I was like, they don't. And, and it's hard to get, sometimes those issues become so overwhelming that you're just like, I don't, I don't know how to start. But I think our country started by putting in a president that actually had a brain and has a plan and has like an incredibly competent team behind him. And I'm really looking forward for four years, at least I know I'll be able to breathe. And I really am excited you know, about what's to come because I think it'll be better. After a reasonable amount of crying on inauguration day, I felt, I felt like I should be purged from the past four years, but I realized it's a trauma, it, that it was traumatic. And then mm -hmm. I sort of, and I don't know if you feel this way, for me, it's a feeling of sort of unfolding slowly. That I Yeah, yeah. Like my yeah. whole body was in one giant knot for four years. And yeah, even, even though all the, I think it's important to note that there's grief associated with COVID um, and not just grief associated with people dying. dying. Right, that's right, Marissa, uh, that's right. That's and right. So, it, that we're all experiencing something so physical and the other place that we see it, and if you know anybody has been reading the newspaper in the past week, my town, Montclair, has been in the news because yeah. our union is fighting with the school board and about yeah. whether or not they should go back to school. And yeah. He, the knock-on effects of kids not being in school is is um, mind-boggling to me because yeah from a, yeah like little kids who aren't learning how to read to the mental health yeah. effects of it are stunning the the number yeah. of 
um, suicides, near suicide, not the number of near suicides or um, discussion of suicide among kids in this that I, I, I have sense of is stunning. It is. And it's also um, just to kind of ground it in science a little bit, you know, they've done some studies to measure levels of cortisol, which is an indicator of stress in children, young children, and they're way higher than they should be. And it just shows that like, you know, we, we're, we're arguing about, I, by the way, on the school reopening issue, there's no winners. Like everybody's a loser. Everybody, parents are losers. Kids are, kids are the biggest losers because it's their education that we're talking about. And then teachers are, you know, and, and the staff at schools are, are, it's a losing situation for everyone. And I will say this again, Marissa, I, again, a fault of the Trump administration for not making that a priority. Kids don't vote, so they've never been a priority. And they also get neglected because why not shut schools down? You know, what's the big deal? And then we find out about, I have a patient whose six-year-old daughter um, has been regressing and like needs diapers again. And then another person whose kids have said like, because lunch was where they, schools where they got lunches. And so like schools are trying and they're doing like kind of boxes and trying to get food to kids, but nothing's perfect. And and it just, you know, it breaks my heart. And it's like, yeah, it's funny. Like I, I think even before I was a mother, it broke my heart. But like you see that and you think about, you know, not being able to like give food to children. And you're like, that's like, this is the United States of America. You know, my family left India because in India, it's normal to have kids begging on the street when I was, young the first memory i had landing in india is, and this is before 9 11 and all the security kids rushing when i came off the plane asking me for money and food and begging and i i was i was like oh my like what is this you know and you don't you don't see it but it's in the united states and it's worse and you know it's it's not going to be easy for one president or one white house or one congress to fix that this started before Trump. I have, you know, it, like it's easy yes. for me to just blame it all on him. <laughs> and a large part of it le- rests on his shoulders. But we're talking about ills, Marissa, that like, you know, took generations to, to achieve. And it might take generations to undo. And I hope that, I hope that we can do that, you know, and, and anybody who's listening, I would love like the people who could use the most support right now are your area food banks. It's like a big, they are incredible people doing incredible work. All of them, Montclair included, all of them are like just, you know, the only safety net for people around this. So any, anybody who's enjoying this, go, yeah. go, go find them. Go find, uh, yeah, in Montclair I support, there are a couple, and I support one called Tony's Kitchen that does the backpack program for kids. And um, every week, so and first of all, the backpack idea is such a nice idea. So there's not like, I've got my bag of groceries because I'm underprivileged, you know, that I need food. Right. So I have a back, right? It's something kids carry and it's filled with protein rich things like tuna and um, easy, easy to, to kind of eat and like make. Yeah. I mean, I think we're learning a lot more, you know, the old um, food stamps program, right? The old food stamps program. I mean, it was basically like that box of candy, you know, that I ordered and Right. I think they're trying, um, Michelle Obama did, an, you know, kind of overhaul. If you remember, we went from like that food pyramid 
and then went to like a plate that actually makes a lot more sense, especially for Americans who are like, I don't know how to like eat by a pyramid, but I know how to eat on a plate. It involves sort of a mathematical approach. So it does, exactly. So we do a lot of good things, but it's just not very, it's, it's like easy to say and harder to do. So those backpack, those, all those programs are huge. And, and I think all of the like, you know, sentiment that we have about how can we get out of this? It's going to be through kind of that, that program. It's going to be through things like this and connecting, acknowledging what you said is that unwinding and the grief. And then also really taking that moment to like, think about people that you don't think about, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of stay in my like, you know, square foot home and not acknowledge like the outside world, but I think we have to, you know, and that's to me watching the inauguration, it was actually like a kind of a moment where you're like, okay, somebody sees us, you know, like, <laughs> like somebody sees us, that beautiful poet Amanda, you know, there's so many moments that were important for right. where we are, but hopefully a start to something better. So. Yeah. I, I mean, just... I, the, the, I've been, I'm a historian sort of by training. And if you look here, I have two, an old book that was my grandfather's who was a physician called The Great Epidemic, which is about the Spanish influenza. And I, Gina Collada's really good book about the flu. But as a kind of cultural historian, I'm really interested in seeing where we go from this. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. what, what, you know, you can look at the 20s as a sort of easy reaction to World War One and the Spanish yeah. influenza. And you know, art is often born out of it. And those are positive things, but I hope that there's a real, I mean, this is my sort of wistful liberal bubble thinking I get, you know, um, but I hope there's more of a realization or a reaction to the issues that, the issues of hunger that play this country. So yeah. as a person, I mean, I, I'm the luckiest person alive, right? I have whatever I want to cook. Um, I, I think it's funny, Marissa, I, I know we're going to wrap up because I have my beautiful cookies and I need to eat them uh, well, and maybe share them with my family. <laughs> but I think that I've had to kind of like not, I used to feel bad, like when my family crossed a threshold of kind of not having anything, we were on food stamps. I also thought like they were on stickers. So I would show up like, to school <laughs> with like, and it was back then it was like these yellow stickers with like barrels on them. And and I remember being like, why are people laughing at this? And so when I crossed that threshold and like started to actually make, you know, I, I, we didn't, my husband and I, we didn't buy a home until we were like 40 years old. So, you know, we, we did a lot of things later because we're both doctors and it takes like 20 years to become a doctor apparently. So <laughs> when I crossed over that threshold, I felt really guilty. And I, and I realized that like, that's not productive. I need to you know, be proud of what I accomplished, but I also need to make sure that I never forget. Like, I don't want that moment when I was a little kid and I was in that plane off of India and that moment should never go away. And, and I think that's probably where hopefully the country, for those of us who have, and those of us who can, you know, it's not just about like the charity, it's just remembering like, so that we don't, it's what you said that you're a historian, you know, we can't forget. I think that's the key. Like if all we do is say, okay, we got the vaccines and we're all better and life is back to normal, then we didn't really achieve much. You know, that's, that's not the point, but I'm really excited that I do think in six months, I'll be able to see you in person. And then, and then you can show me how to make bread and all sorts <laughs> of other great things. But, and You know, I was, the thing I was going to say about making bread is, it's so involved, especially if you're not mixing it, if you're mixing it, if you're kneading it by hand, mm -hmm. it is 
very physical. And yeah. the end, if the end result for those of us, you know, a little lonely and, and it can be this incredibly, I mean, lonely, uh, yeah. living, yeah, no, that, but no. people, you know, who are missing tactile experiences, really nice bread dough feels like a, the softest thing. It feels like it's just so lovely. I cannot wait. It reminds me every, while you were talking, I don't, so this is going to age our listeners. It reminded me of that scene with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze and Ghost yes. when she's at the pottery wheel. And Ghost, right, exactly. <laughs> so maybe we should start having a soundtrack when like, you know, like do the needy to do all that. I think that's a Najib state. I might make that recommendation, Marissa. Too. I think that's a great idea. I, I think that we need a soundtrack to some of our, some of our activities. Do you want me to start? <laughs> Thing? No. Um, <laughs> let me ask you just a few questions before we leave in the sort of lightning round of, yes, I am, as we were, have been sort of saying all along, you know, I'm pretty clever. And I, as like I said, I'm a professional hypochondriac. So I know a lot about medicine. Um, but there's a point mm -hmm. where I don't want to process anymore because it's uh -huh. just, I'm not a paid professional for mm -hmm. that in that respect. So I just want to ask you a few questions just to help out. I've asked my friends to like, what, what do you want to know? And, but this morning, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, people uh -huh. are, some people are really, really happy. And some people are, yeah. Hey, you know, it could be good. So <laughs> when, 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 you know, in Washington DC, we have a saying that if you have a policy that everybody loves, you've done something wrong. And I use the same kind of phrase here. Um, so I'll say this. I, first of all, it's like a press release. They did include a lot of the details in the press release, but I really will want to see some of the graphs with the data of the relative risks and kind of com comparisons between age groups. They, it sounds like they looked at a lot of age groups. Here's what I'll say. If this vaccine had come out, if this news had come out in November, we would have been jumping up out of our seats and like doing high fives because the threshold for the FDA to authorize a vaccine that they set way in advance, way in advance was 50%. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and just to also put some context to it, um, virus, uh, vaccines against viruses are not great. And the flu vaccine is a great example. In good years, we get about 60% efficacy for the flu. In one year, 2004, our flu vaccine only had 10% efficacy. It was essentially useless. So <laughs> if this had happened five, four months ago, we would have been jumping for joy. How can I get a billion of these shots, right? But because we've got these highly effective vaccines that are from a different technology, might be why they're more effective, candidly, it's created a conundrum now because who's gonna want to get something? It's, it's what people are all asking like you, why would I get something that's less effective? I think this is gonna come down though, Marissa, to if you have an opportunity to get the vaccine and it happens to be the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because they are going to apply and probably get it authorized to be used in the United States, I would still take that vaccine for a couple of reasons. Number one, in the population, in, in all populations, it appears that they reduced the risk of the most important things in COVID, which moderate and severe disease and death. At the end of the day, like I'll take, if I could get a guarantee that I'll just get mild symptoms, even though we know these long haulers and long COVID can be bad. If at the end of the day, I know that I won't end up in the hospital and die. That's what I need because we've got kids and I've got a family and we need to we have an obligation to them. And, but, but, but that's one reason. And it had about an 82 to 85% efficacy in that primary and, and secondary endpoints. 
and it's where, and then it performed, and then it, it degrades in its performance against these strains and all the mutant strains, UK, Brazil, South Africa. And all that tells us is that these strains are outpacing the vaccines, but that's true with the other two as well. But you know, if you start at 82 and you just keep going down, then you're going down. But the other reason I would take it today if it was the only one offered is because Marissa, unlike the other shots, you get immunity after one shot. And that's not trivial. Like we're in, it, cases are so high that your chances of getting things are much higher now than they were even six months ago, or well, not in New Jersey, but you know, it's all regional. So cases are higher now. And if you can get the vaccine and let most of the country get it, cases come down. And I can tell you, Marissa, you're gonna need another vaccine probably in a year and we'll have more production of the ones that are potentially more effective. And then, you know, that's it. So if I had a choice, I would definitely choose the Moderna and Pfizer one, but it might come down to not having a choice and I'll take what I can get. Right. And know that a booster will be something that you'll have yeah. to get. Anyway. It, it'll either be a straight up booster or it might be just a different vaccine manufactured by a different manufacturer. Boosters generally come, you know, it's just kind of a different shot. So we might have to do another. It's not clear to me if we're going to need to do just a booster across the board or if there might need to be a totally new vaccine or a little bit of both. And I think that's the part we don't know. Am I correct in thinking that I can sleep better at night because the Biden administration is more on top of this? Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I think, yes. However, for them to get their job done, it's going to take a lot. So yes, you can sleep better, but you shouldn't let that make you comfortable. Does that make sense? Like you, you shouldn't be a hypochondriac, but you should continue to be as I tell family members and people around me, act like everybody outside of this house has COVID. Like act like every single person has it. And, and you know, get a good mask, one of these blue surgical masks and get a high quality mask and act, act like every person you come into contact with has it. Do and I need to wear keep, two you know, masks? Like yeah, that's that? become a controversial question. I don't like wearing two. I think it's far better to get one that's better quality. And these are on Amazon. They're the surgical ones. They're actually three ply three layers with mm -hmm. a filtration material in between the three layers and different studies show this can block up to 85% of particles. So it's pretty good. It's what I wear when I, it's, it's what I use instead of my N9, N95s I keep for clinic and then outside in the real world, I keep this. And, and I would say it's better, you know, I've seen though there's a lot of controversy about, you know, two or three or five masks. If you don't have access to high quality masks, then taking two fabric masks, which are generally two layers and putting them on top of each other achieves the same goal. I find it to be kind of clunky and claustrophobic on my face, so I don't like it, but some people don't mind it. So, you know, I'd rather you just get one good one and wear it well. And one other super important question um, that comes up in my family a lot, uh, huh? is the blue side or the white side the one that's supposed to go out? Oh, the blue is supposed to go out and the white is the one that's supposed to be on the inside. And that just has to do, by the way, it's how people can tell. The reason there's even a different color to it um, is because of the, there's usually a little metal kind of thing in the top for your nose. And it's just the way that thing is kind of sewn in. So you can, you're not doing it wrong if you wear it the other way, it just makes that way that that metal thing bends around your nose it's kind of awkward. So it's supposed to be the blue on the outside. So my children went, fine. Okay, great, thanks. Um, and I guess I could ask you about a trillion million questions, I suppose you need to go at some point um, because I'd like to have a very long discussion about monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, so, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm happy to 
we can, uh, I'd love to try to also do another like healthy set of treats for my kids. So if you okay. can, we can brainstorm and do, I was actually like, um, trying to think like, Oh, could I do something that has like, there was a zucchini chocolate cake that my ch my son did actually eat. So, you know, that was like not green that he could see. So we could do something like that. Or something I have about of. 483 zucchini in my refrigerator because of, a, and so I was going to actually do the same. I was going to make a chocolate spice cake with zucchini. Yeah. So there it we turns go. out yeah. and you can come okay. back on and we can talk monoclonal antibodies. I love it. My last, my last question though is, Am I allowed to yell at people who aren't wearing their masks properly? You are. It's just that I think our society has gotten to a point where you might get like the finger if you do it. And I'm not sure that that's exactly like going to make you feel good when you're already grieving. So what I, here's like how I've handled it. And like, I see it all the time. One, I definitely try to get away myself because I'm not so sure me yelling at that person is going to make them change behavior. And so I try to get away when I can't, I actually have taken like a half a bunch of these. And I've just said, you know, I've, I've truly guilted people. I'm like, you know, I'm a healthcare worker and I really can't afford to get COVID. Do you mind wearing this? And nine times out of 10, they're like, oh, oh, okay. And then they like do this and then they walk away. <laughs> and I'm sure they throw it on the ground because I see these on the ground everywhere. Um, but, you know, that's probably the most friendly advice I would give someone because you don't want to like, you don't want to have that one guy or girl, woman, man, be the one that's like, I'm going to come after you, Marissa, with like a knife in your car. And, you know, that's uh, back in the old days when we went to watch movies, that was the start of every horror movie. So I think that the best thing is to, you know, carry a bunch of them in your purse. And if you are going to go someplace like the grocery store, generally speaking, though, especially hopefully in New Jersey and D.C., people are really enforcing it. So the other thing to do is to go get an aid at a store. And they usually, because they've got a name tag and a bit, you know, they usually have a little more authority about it, but definitely get away from that person. And it's definitely uncomfortable. I've been there many times. Well, that's a very good advice. Um, and it should keep me uh, out of trouble. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Marissa. Thank you so much for being in here. I will work on my chocolate spice zucchini cake. All right. I hope it's a promise. Freedom. Yes. Thank you. Oh yeah. Oh, the love of cookies. I do already. I'm going to eat one. Yes. 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 You deserve the reward. Okay. Thank I'll you. See you soon. Thank you so All much. All right. Thank you. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed the secret life of cookies to download the recipe for the whole wheat oatmeal cookies. Visit marissarothkopf.com. Follow me on Twitter at Marissa Rothkopf. And please, oh please, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from.